This is Nursing in America. Each week we speak with incredible nurses who have taken the leap to start a new life in the United States. If you're thinking about doing the same, then this is the place you'll find all the insider knowledge and inspirational success stories to realize your own American dream. This is the second part of a two-part episode, so make sure you go back and listen to part one first. We're going to be moving now to part two, where we're going to be talking to the legal expert, expert Chris Musello, about the legal aspect of becoming a citizen. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Tanya, I didn't know I was going to follow a real entertaining session and a game <laughs> show and a happy dance. I mean, what am I going to do now? This is boring. You're going to lose all the viewers, probably. Never, Chris. You never. We never. Everybody can't wait to hear your words of wisdom. I, I don't know. That was a pretty good <laughs> session. I, I caught I caught a lot of it. And uh, and uh, uh, hopefully maybe it's less entertaining, maybe maybe informative. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out, I guess. Very important piece, Chris, because as we said, climbing that that mountain, becoming a citizen, one of the greatest moments for all immigrants. And I know your family also come from a line of immigrants, Chris. That's right. And as you've shared with our viewers before. So um, it really is a moment becoming a citizen. But there are a lot of legal aspects that I think it's important for people to educate themselves about. Um, and that's where you're not going to be boring, Chris. We believe in you. <laughs> so here are the questions about the citizen um, citizenship. Right. Um, yeah, let's so do it. The first thing is, what are the requirements to become a citizen? So there's a number of requirements. So, so let's just go, go through them quickly, and then I'm sure people will ask some questions that will refine some of these. So I, I like to think of it as about eight, eight requirements. So the first one is you have to be a permanent resident of the United States. You have to have your green card for five years. And there's one exception to that. And that's if you're married to a U.S. citizen, then it only needs to be for three years. But for most people, it's five years. So if you get your green card, maybe you're a nurse or a healthcare worker or some other, but then five. So if you get your uh, green card, let's pretend today, December 16th, 2022, you, you cannot apply for citizenship until December 16th, 2027, unless you're married to a U.S. citizen, in which case it's December 16th, 2025. That's the day you can actually file your naturalization petition. So that's one. I call that the time element. The second one, which is a little bit related, is what's called the continuous presence element. And what that means is that you cannot have exited the United States for more than six months at a time. If you do, that can reset the amount, the, the five-year uh, rule. The third one, which is also sort of related, is the physical presence test, which means that you have to have been physically on U.S. soil for half the time. So if you have a five-year, which is the standard amount of time, you have to be in the United States for two and one half years, physically in the U.S. So what we do when we prepare those petitions is we'll look at all the times we've gone overseas, whether it's for travel, for work or business or, or, or pleasure. You still have to be in the United States for 30 months. Okay. The next one is your physical current residence test, which is at the time you file your petition, you have to be in the same house or apartment or residence 
for 90 days because you're filing your petition, your naturalization petition at a local level, not at a, um, not at a federal level. Next one's pretty easy age. You have to be 18. Uh, the next one is residency during the petition. Um, you have to be in the United States when, well, during the pendency of your petition. So when you file your petition, it may take a month or two or six months or nine months. You, you need to be in the United States. Generally, you can make a short trip outside the United States, but we always advise you, you, you check with your attorney during that. And then the, the last two are you need to have good moral character, which means, you, 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 you know, th th there's going to be a background check. And then the eighth is um, the testing standards, which are English fluency and U.S. civics. Uh, those can be maybe thought of as two standards. For the English fluency test, it's not a TOEFL exam or an IELTS exam. It's actually done in front of the immigration officer uh, right there. And he or she makes a judgment based on your ability to speak and read English. And the civics test, they, they do a civics test similar to the one that you can find at the USCIS's website. So those are the standards. And, and we can, you know, we, we can talk a little bit about, um, about some of the rules and exceptions that, that might apply. Those are, of course, are general standards. Okay, so that gives us a really good idea of the criteria and what's involved to be able to apply for citizenship. How does the U.S. government decide moral character, Chris? I know you said a background check, but tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so with the moral character, one thing they're doing is they're making sure that you, if you've been arrested, it's for a sort of what I would call a low character reason, not a high character reason. Um, and, and so that, that's really the key thing. So if you've got a misdemeanor or uh, a parking ticket or a speeding ticket, that is not going to, um, that is going to, that is not going to be a problem. The bars of the, the, what we call immigration bars and by a bar, we meaning this prohibits you from being able to get your naturalization. So there's a handful of them. So murder, if you've been convicted of murder, God, I hope this never happens. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> to anybody, certainly convicted. That, that, yeah. that obviously means you do not have good moral character. And that's a permanent bar, meaning you can never, ever, ever become a U.S. citizen. Okay. There's the second one is something called an aggravated felony. And there have been an enormous number of guidance memorandum from the U.S. government and court cases. And so I'm not going to go into it. In fact, candidly, if you've been convicted of a felony, you will definitely want to hire an attorney to find out, does it reach the standard of an aggravated felony as opposed to a non-aggravated felony? And, you know, you could go on the USCS website and there is there's 20 or 30 sort of standards. And then each of those can be aggravated. And, and we can see, you know, depending on how, how bad or good the, the crime is. Uh, there, there's, um, uh, you know, if you've been, you know, a lot of these are, are really terrible things to talk about. But if you've um, uh, committed genocide, torture, persecution of, of people, th these are the kinds of things that will also bar you. So those are the big permanent, uh, permanent bars uh, keeping one from, uh, you know, from being a, uh, a permanently becoming a, 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 a U.S. citizen. There are a number of other bars like controlled substance uh, abuse 
Uh, if you've been in jail for less than a year, which is usually the felony standard, but more than 180 years, have you been committed? Uh, have you been convicted of false testimony or fraud, prostitution, smuggling, some gambling? Uh, there's a variety of things like that, uh, which again, you know, I, I'm not going to go through all. There's probably a 20 of those as well. Those are non-permanent bars. And so if you've been convicted of some of these still serious crimes, but lesser crimes, we essentially have to ask the U.S. government to overlook it because of some reason or because some period of time has has um, passed between the time the offense was committed and the time you're getting ready to apply for uh, permanent residency. Okay. Well, so it's really involved. Um, and if there has been some issues in your past, very important to speak to an immigration lawyer. That's right. Chris, Chris, can somebody stay on a green card indefinitely? Like if they decide for whatever reason not to become a citizen? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And it's one we get. And the answer is yes. We have had some clients of the law firm who have been permanent residents for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So why would someone, Tanya, want to move from permanent residency to U.S. citizenship? Let's just take a step back before we answer that question, which is I generally like to say that there's four categories of people in the United States. Now, I'm simplifying this, but I think this covers a lot of situations. And so it's a good rubric to think about it. So at the top of the ladder, we have U.S. citizens, and there's essentially two ways to become a U.S. citizen. You can be like me which is you can be born physically on U.S. soil. And frankly, as long as you're born on U.S. soil, it doesn't matter if your parent was um, from here or not, whether your parents documented, whether your parents in H-1B or green card or anything else, or even illegal in the United States. If you're born on U.S. soil, you're a U.S. citizen at the time you're born. All you need is to show that, that birth certificate saying that you were born on U.S. soil. There's another way, which is the way we're mainly talking about today, and these are for uh, people like you, Tanya, of course, which is you can move through the immigration process and eventually become a U.S. citizen. The next tier down are green card holders or permanent residents or what we call in the industry immigrants. We specifically use that term immigrant. And as your question implies, you can stay in that category of green card holder really for the rest of your life. So you can come to the United States Become a green card holder when you're, I don't know, 25 and, and literally stay in the United States as a green card holder forever. The last two, by the way, are just temporary visa holders. Those are tourists, students, temporary workers, et cetera. And then the last category, of course, are the undocumented or those who are illegally here. So what happens if you stay in the green card category and do not move up to the U.S. citizenship category? Well, again, to, to some degree, nothing, but there are some downsides. So let me just go through a couple of the downsides, Tom. First, it's you're illegal uh, to vote. You're, it's, you're ineligible to vote. In fact, if you vote in a federal or local election, that can be a bar to you becoming a U.S. citizen down the line. So it's very important to know you're a green card holder. Even if you're a green card holder for 20, 30, 50 years, you're still okay. ineligible to vote. Only U.S. citizens are eligible uh, to vote. Uh, the next uh, problem, I think, or at least the deficiency if you stay in the green card category, is I don't think you're getting the full American life because of things like voting, because of, you know, just the pride that a lot of people have in the United States. So that's another one. A third one is if by some chance you commit some, you know, some of the horrible uh, uh, crimes that we talked about in the, in the last question, 
Uh, if you're a U.S. citizen, you, you serve your penalty, which might be a fine or it might be jail time. And those are obviously horrible outcomes. But when you're done serving your penalty, uh, then you are still eligible to be in the United States because you're a U.S. citizen. If you do commit some of those offenses, not only you may be barred from U.S. citizenship, but you are also potentially barred from staying in the United States, meaning you can be actually deported if you do these things. So um, so that, that that's the downside of staying in the green card uh, uh, tier as opposed to moving into uh, U.S. permanent residency. Okay. So, yeah, so that, that really lays it out very clearly, Chris. We'll be back with the conversation in just a second. There's a wonderful opportunity for you. AMN Healthcare Network is currently recruiting registered nurses around the world to live and work in the United States. To learn more and apply, go to amnhealthcare.com slash international. That's amnhealthcare.com forward slash international. On with the show. So can somebody be have dual citizenship? So for example, like I came from South Africa, do you have to give up your citizenship of your home country? So, uh, and this is a good lawyer answer, Tanya. The answer is yes and no. Okay. And so here's how it works. Tell us about that, Chris. Yeah, I'll expand on that rather than giving that smart answer, right? So, um, so U.S. citizens, uh, or excuse me, so if you if you apply for U.S. citizenship, as a general rule of thumb, you do not have to give up your foreign citizenship from America's perspective. America, generally speaking, is comfortable with you holding both American citizenship and say Filipino citizenship or American citizenship and Canadian citizenship. It's not uncommon and the United States is fine with that. And frankly, when you enter, let's say Canada, you can share your Canadian passport. And when you enter the United States, then you share your US passport and that'll probably make your entry into those countries for tourism reasons or what have you uh, very straightforward. Okay, so that's one thing. Now, sometimes the other country wants you to give up their passport. So, for instance, India, I know, they do not like their citizens to have dual citizenship. And so if you are an Indian national and you apply for American citizenship, U.S. citizenship, the U.S. says we're fine if you want to hold both the Indian passport and the American passport. But India says, nope, once you become a U.S. citizen, we require you to give up your Indian passport and give up your Indian citizenship. So it's really a country by country analysis. But again, as a general rule, America is comfortable with you holding two passports, but some other countries are not. And so it really is going to come down to what your other country of nationality is. And sometimes that can even change, Chris, because I'm just thinking of my personal situation. When my, my sister came to America before I did a few years before, when she became a citizen, she wasn't allowed to keep her South African passport by South Africa. And then when I became a citizen, we were allowed to. So sometimes it can even change over a period of time. And, and that's something that you would need to find out. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The, the, so South Africa, in your instance, they changed their laws over Correct. between the time you and your sister were coming around. Correct. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So this is something that, uh, that, yeah, that you'll, you know, if you're thinking of doing the dual citizenship route, You'll want to continually check to see, even if it's ineligible in 2022, you, you might be uh, able to do it in, in 2025 or something. Correct. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. What happens if you fail when you go to your interview? 
Yeah. So the good news is in all the years I've been doing this, I'm not sure I can recall somebody failing it. And the yeah. reason is, is because people smartly prepare for this thing. In fact, I can't even think, and I've been doing immigration law. This will be my 25th year in 2023. Mm-hmm. I can't even think of someone failing the English fluency exam because, you know, you sort of know if you can speak English. And with respect to the civics exam, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, it's studying for a test, but it's not the NCLEX. It's not that difficult to test. You do need to put the time in. And frankly, I think it's a good, good idea that if you're going to pursue, you know, American citizenship, I think it's important that you understand our culture and our civics and the way our government works and these kinds of things. Um, so, but, but having said that, if you fail it, you can go ahead and reapply for citizenship and you will again have to take the English exam. Okay. Okay. So it is possible, but you're right. I I think for any immigrant to get to that stage, I don't know anyone who's not going to be spending the time studying. And it's, I actually found it very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting stuff, right? Yeah. There's yeah. also, and it's probably worth saying there are some exemptions uh, to the English exam and the civics test. So for instance, mm-hmm. If you are over 50 years old at the time you file for your naturalization and you've been a U.S. permanent resident for 20 years, what they sometimes call the 50-20 exception, you actually do not have to be able to speak fluent English, but you do have to pass the civics exam. Oh, interesting. There's also a 55-15 rule, which means if you're over 55 and you've been a U.S. permanent resident for 15 years, you also do not have to pass the civics exam. Excuse me, the English exam. You do have to still take the civics exam, but they will give you that American civics exam in your native language or and or you can have an interpreter. Now, if you're 65 years old and you've been a permanent resident for 20 years, so you would already meet the English fluency exemption because you would meet the 50-20 rule. They're also lady the U.S. government official who takes you through this, who adjudicates your case, is supposed to give you sort of additional consideration if you don't quite do okay on the civics exam. So, so there's there's some exceptions there. And then there's a couple of other exceptions, like if you have some medical condition or mental or physical disability, there's also exemptions and exceptions to both civics and English. Wow, that's very interesting. I did not know a lot of those things, Chris. And you were worried this was going to be boring, but this is really interesting. <laughs> well, I'm hoping you don't ask me some of those questions. <laughs> what are the beneficial differences of having a green card and citizenship? And I know that you've spoken about that, Chris, but I wanted to speak specifically about being able to sponsor a family member. Because it's a really obviously, good point. Yeah, yeah, so right. a lot of a lot of people really want that citizenship because it just gives peace of mind. Um, as Anna said, being able to vote is huge. Uh, but one of the other advantages is that you can actually sponsor a family member. Who can you sponsor? Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? Yeah, really good question. I'm glad you brought that up. So let's start with who you're able to sponsor. So, so the idea here is if you're a permanent resident, you're actually able to sponsor some of your family members for a green card. And if you're a U.S. citizen, you're actually able to sponsor a whole range of family members, and we'll go through them right now. So if you are a permanent resident, you are allowed to sponsor 
your uh, in uh, in what we call an after acquired spouse. So let's think about this for a minute. Again, we're talking about permanent residency here. So if you're going through the green card process, your spouse automatically he or she they're with you in this process as long as they're your spouse from the beginning at the end of the process. And so they will take and receive their green card at the same time as you. And your children who are under 21 will also take and receive the green card at the same time as you. But what if you have an after acquired spouse? So now you've gone through the process, but maybe you're single or even you were married and now you're divorced. Now fast forward a few years and you marry uh, you marry, but now your your spouse to be is overseas. Well, you're actually able to sponsor them under the green card process, not through the employment based process that you went through, but through the green card process. And we, we it works a little bit like your your nursing case. There's a sponsor, which in your nursing case might be your hospital or your healthcare facility. In the green card case, the sponsor is you, the U.S. permanent resident, and the beneficiary is not you, the nurse, but it's you, the the after-acquired spouse. Similarly, if you after-acquire children, same kind of thing. So maybe you get uh, a children who are overseas, stepchildren, this sort of thing. Now, that's the only um, level that you're allowed to sponsor as a permanent resident, but, but it greatly expands as a U.S. citizen. As a U.S. citizen, you're also able to aspire to sponsor and file for an overseas spouse. So if I'm single and I marry a Filipino girl, I can file for her green card as a because I'm a U.S. citizen and she becomes immediately eligible, which means it's almost like she's always current, which means it's just really the only time constraint is the amount of time it takes the petition to be approved and the visa NBC to schedule the interview in, in Manila. So that's a, a spouse. I can also sponsor my overseas parents with immediate eligibility, which means, again, it's like they're immediately current. So if my mom and dad were foreign nationals, because I'm a U.S. citizen, I could sponsor for them. And then maybe nine months or so, they would go to their interview in Manila, London, Rome, Australia, wherever they're from, and they would immediately get theirs. So, so the parent rule is not eligible for green cards. Also, as a U.S. citizen, you're also allowed to sponsor children, both under 21, and this is important, and also over 21. You're also able to sponsor over 21 married. So even if they're married, that, that, that's a, it's a slower path than if they're unmarried, but it also is eligible. And you can even sponsor brothers and sisters, siblings, as U.S. citizens. So again, real quick, if you're a U.S. citizen, you can sponsor spouses. You can sponsor children, both under 21 and over 21, both married and unmarried, and you can sponsor brothers and sisters. And a parent. And a parent. Sorry. Yes, right. Yeah. And and that topic is really very dear to my heart because as a U.S. citizen now, I recently sponsored my own mother. She became a, a a green card holder. So is that your mother or your sister, Tanya? My oh, I'll tell her that, Chris. She'll be very she excited. Looks beautiful! To that. Wow, that's amazing. And and, and the fact, the amazing thing is that I have a grandchild in the same week. So that's right, Danielle. Oh my God! Congratulations to Danielle! Thank you. A holiday miracle. 
at our first, it was, it was so weird because in the first, in, in one week, my mom became a, a green card holder and we had the first born American in our, uh, in our family. So it was really joyous. That is wonderful. One December has been uh, joyous for you, for sure. Yeah. And that's what we want for all our viewers all Absolutely. over the world. So, um, yeah, so it, it's a great benefit of being a, a citizen, which is, is amazing. And um, Chris, last question, because I'm just looking at the, the clock in terms of citizenship. If you have, for example, a parent that's in the United States or a parent that's in their home country or a spouse or a, um, a child, is it the same process? Yeah, it's a similar process. That's right. It's a similar process. A lot of immigration is sort of conditioned on this idea that we have a sponsoring either an entity like a company or a sponsoring spouse or U.S. citizen or something like that. And then the sponsor petitions on behalf of what we call the beneficiary, which might be the child, might be the spouse, might be the parent, might be the nurse if it's an employer. And so, yes, all the, structurally, it, it all works about the same. Okay. So if you have, if you are a U.S. citizen and are looking to sponsor one of your family members, please also check out one of our guidebooks on Kinetics USA. We have one for the consular green card process, one for the adjustment of status green card process, and also one about the TN process, the, the, the process for Canadian and Mexican citizens. Well, with, with that said, thank you so much for joining us, everybody, from all around the world. Thank you to Anna and Rona for sharing your inspiring stories. What a great message that of hope and blessing that you shared with everybody around the world. And thanks, as always, to Chris Marcello for your partnership and your collaboration. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the episode, Go ahead and hit the follow button on your podcast player and leave us a review. AMN Healthcare International is currently recruiting registered nurses around the world to live and work in the United States. We offer both direct hire and staff recruitment, giving you more options and flexibility to begin your American dream. To learn more and apply, go to amnhealthcare.com international. There's also a link in the description. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for more incredible conversations.